Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Uh, my name is Alex Q, and welcome to the second episode of Miscast Deploy Mental. Mm? <laughs> Deploy Jesus Mental. Christ. All week we've been working on that, eh? I all like week. It. Yeah. Not, not, not all week, just, just the last eight days. Um, <laughs> when I said, hmm, I sounded a bit like... Um, have you seen Die Hard, the first Die Hard? You know, Alan Rickman's character. Mm-hmm. The one that mm-hmm. says like, ho, 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 Mr. Takagi. <laughs> I thought I sounded a bit like that with the hymns. Uh, anyway, this is the second episode in a short series where each episode, using the expertise of my superstar co-hosts and special guests, we will discuss tabletop topics that we hope will improve your generalship, expertise, and enjoyment of your gaming experience. This is the podcast that, as we said last time we'll talk nonsense and sense but it's going to be in unequal measure and it's the podcast that's been randomly exposed to early morning jazz this week <laughs> it's that kind of podcast nice. we've been joining the jazz haven't we oh, yeah. we have yeah. yeah i've got one line oh i did have one lined up oh no someone's spoke owen's just put in the chat five mins which has ruined what i had lined up Livid. There we go. I'm sorry. I, always, <laughs> but I was convinced, Darren, that you're a tech wizard. I am. <laughs> Not that kind of tech, Laura. Was, uh, Leo. Not that kind I was of tech. So organized. Here we go. I think this is it. Da, 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 da. So this is what we get. This is what we wake up to. Oh, 
I mean, this is my normal morning. I don't know why it's so funny about it. These are my favourite note voice notes of all time. For, for the first 10 seconds, I legitimately was not sure if that was just a shower turning on, but it is jazz. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know what the hell we're talking about and thinks we've all gone insane, um, <laughs> Owen has very kindly every morning posted uh, jazz voice notes whilst we have coffee every morning. And just hearing Darren burst out into laughter every morning is an absolute delight listening to this jazz. So any it's comments, Owen? Goes, mm, nice. <laughs> I wouldn't want to start the day any other way now, I've got to say. It's, um, Neither it brings, me as, mm. it brings me as much joy as it brings you. So, yeah, <laughs> happy to bring that, that, that to you, Darren. My pleasure. Are you dancing around on your own um, when you listen to jazz in the morning? Um... I'm sort of dancing around in my mind, yeah. I'm not that active yet, but yeah, it definitely invigorates. I did hear uh, an actor, I think it was Billy Crystal, said that he wakes up every day and before he does anything, he splashes his face with like multiple large amounts of cold water. And I think that the jazz does that <laughs> to your brain. <laughs> um, Especially with the like the one that goes like super fast yeah specifically <laughs> kind of like 70s kind of jazz funk fusion that's my um yeah that's my kind of zone i definitely. just typically wake up and immediately fart so you're all just much <laughs> we're all about sophistication here <laughs> yeah it is it's like the fast show sketch for ever for the for the boomers listening uh it's the fast fast show sketch where he's like mm, nice <laughs> jazz but enough about jazz and enough about all this. Uh, let's introduce the rest of my uh, lovely co-host and our secret guest. So uh, you can hear my first co-host's sexy serenades already. I'm not going to do the full intros that we did last time. He goes by a positive victim on Twitter and he's only gone and won another bloody tournament <laughs> since we recorded last time. Wow. It's Darren Watson, everybody. Hello, Darren. Ooh, yeah, hello. Yes, we're the team. We're the team. I am. Um, I'm only as good as my team, right? Did very well. I was about to say, my first question was going to be, "Are you bored of winning tournaments yet?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Am I? laughs> no, I, I could never be bored of winning tournaments. I fucking love. So, it. <laughs> for the listeners, which tournament did you go and win this time? We um, regained or kept our brotherhood title, um, and it's been like two years. It's a bit like Worlds was um, cancelled for a couple of years due to COVID. So poor Chris Tomlin runs Brotherhood at Firestorm in Cardiff. Um, and I think he's had a real challenge keeping it going. And thank fuck he did, because it was an absolute glorious weekend uh, fighting with my fellow Bruce's um, for the title of Brotherhood champions. Um, yeah, great weekend. Great weekend. And dressed to impress as well. So for anyone that didn't see our miscast pod feed, there is a picture of Darren wearing a waistcoat, shorts, socks, <laughs> shoes, and what was it? An Australia top? What was, was underneath? A, it was a French. It was the French um, national team's top. And later, I wore the Australians for good luck. <laughs> well, it's perfect, uh, perfect I, after our last time as well, talking about the previous tournament. Exactly. I think I'm a style guru, right? You know, I'm inspired by James Tinsdale and Owens. <laughs> Sock slider combo. Oh, we'll be getting onto Owen's socks in a second. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, zoo update. How's the animals? Everyone, oh, everyone's fucking brilliant. The um, our horses uh, liver results 
have come, so the second tests have come back and they're all absolutely fine. No chickens have died. Uh, the rabbits, uh, I can now, they, they often run away from me. Alex normally puts them into the pen that we've got during the day so that the foxes don't get them. Um, and they always run away from me if she ever stays. But the, yesterday I managed to get both of them in one. I was really fucking pleased with myself. Um, and the <laughs> um, victories, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you take the victories where you can. Um, and the dogs, we've been really working on their rescue dogs, so they're little shits. Uh, we've been really working on uh, walking with them in like a, a polite manner because they growl and shout at other dogs and they pull and they weave and all sorts. So we've been doing some, uh, t- some training uh, with them and they're stopping their... Today was a great success. They weren't roving so much and they managed to walk past other dogs without any sort of um, incident. And that's probably the cheese treats that we had. Uh, but yeah, I'm in a good mood. The, the, the zoo's going well. Sorry, Darren, are, you about, are you talking about the Bruces or your animals? <laughs> 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 That's a good good timing from our. Should we, should we introduce our second co host oh, then, I Darren? Actually, before we do, uh, I'm talking about the Bruce's. Chris Myhill has won. Uh, what tournament were you at today? Uh, Owen, I just want to shout him out. He's done The Sunshine Coast uh, yes. tournament. Down well, in done, well done, a fellow Bruce. He's also. Shout out to Chris Myhill, winning mm. more bloody tournaments. Nailed it. There's something about us, boys, isn't there? Something in this. I think there's something in this, yeah. Right. Our second co-host, who we've already heard, that we all love, that we all know, he's the sexy socked seductor himself. You can find him at sexiest socked men of 2022 on Instagram. <laughs> he's at OJ180 on Twitter. It's the Owen Jackson, everybody. Hi, Owen. Hey, Alex. I, I can never live up to these platitudes <laughs> they every week. Um, Do you know what? Everyone's absolutely obsessed with your socks, by the way. And you know, Darren's actually only gone and promised everyone that if we get to 500 followers, we have to make themed socks. That's okay. Do you think he's not got this prepared already? (laughs) I've got got some thoughts, yeah. I've always wanted to do my own socks. So, um, yeah, this is good. Um, How are you otherwise? All right, you just come back from a tournament yourself, as we just mentioned, so about two hours ago, with your addiction going on full steam. Yes, yes. Um, so I've got that. Everyone knows how it feels. I've got that croaky voice. Normally, my, my voice is this kind of level for the jazz voice notes. But um, no, I'm tired, uh, disappointed. So normal Sunday night after a tournament. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I pushed my bone reapers around to uh, mediocre success, um, but had a lovely That's time. Right. Yeah, it was a great event. It was cool. It was nice getting out of London and um, playing in like a village hall. There were groups of scouts and, you know, inquisitive mothers who were like out on walks, poking their heads into this room going, what are all these middle-aged, mainly men doing with these little figures and dice? (laughs) That was fun. Uh, And there was a lovely pub next to the, 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 the venue. I don't normally drink and I had two pints, one of which I had to neck to get on the train so i'm tired a little bit fuzzy but a little bit queasy yeah i'm I'm happy i'm good i'm good Um, you had two points owen i know steady on i stayed at owens once and i suggested that we have a second cup of coffee after 10 (laughs) o'clock and owen went two coffees before 10 o'clock 
That's fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> it was, man. It was. I didn't think that's deep. He's got to get the jazz in there. He can't be having coffee when you've got mm. the jazz on. Yeah. No, they work against each other somewhat. Um, but yeah, no, I'm very good. Um, good. Yeah, good. Yeah, nice um, we have had a request from some Australians. Um, they would like you to say matrices, please, in your sexiest voice. <laughs> okay. I, well, I'm a man of the people, so I will say matrices. <laughs> oh, and it's, and it's a, and it's a, uh, it's a little croaky. It gives it extra sexiness as well. I like it. Mm. Right, yeah. gentlemen. Shall we say hello to our lovely guest who you might mm. have heard in the background with some very Nordic shine? Um, I've had a few messages saying how much they people have loved my Michael Buffer impression and it's the best thing that they've ever heard and yeah. hundreds of people have written in saying it's amazing. Didn't, so, I, didn't, I didn't get those messages. <laughs> Did you not? <laughs> no. weird. weird. You must have, must have just sent them to me. So, <clears throat> Michael Buffer impression time. Podcasting out of the icy white Arctic tundra, wearing ice white shorts with a sparkly snow-like trim, and officially weighing in at 763 pounds of pure tabletop athletic muscle, with a team championship professional fighting record of 18 wins and two losses, a home favorite chatting out of Washington, USA, via Finland, he is the challenger at tiny dino underscore aos on twitter leo the moose route today hi leo hey alex leo. How are you? that was amazing leo. Thanks. <laughs> Just for you. I, i'm speechless How's things? things are very well thank you no i'm really happy to be here where so yeah, it's, it's, it's... No, we sorry go on no no go on so for those that don't know, I'm I know Leah from London and the rest of us know from the tournament scene. And Leah's just made a fantastic trip across the Atlantic Ocean to go and live in the US. I have indeed, yeah. It's it's really nice. So I, I bet it's getting dark there right now, but it's it's sunny here, it's thirty degrees, which is a cool summer day by Washington DC standards. It's it's nice. It's very Yeah, good. we saw lots of um we saw lots of the American guys posting stuff on Twitter this weekend. There's ACO this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. There's two tournaments. There's ACO, which I was going to go to before work came in the way. That's on the East Coast. And then you have San Diego Open, which is the Games Workshop one, and that's all the way in California. But um, Yeah, when you start well, talking about American tournaments, right, it's like, for us in the UK, it's like, oh, my God, we've got to go to Liverpool or whatever. And see, actually that, in America, that's it's thing, like 12 right? hours. That uh, I I was so spoiled by living in London and tournament just like oh I don't want to go there that's like two and a half hours journey <laughs> now it's like, now I'm like oh it's less than six hours on the plane amazing <laughs> so, regardless of where it is in the USA I think we can all agree that Tom Felton the coach of the US team will be at that tournament I mean <laughs> I know possibly he's been, uh, he's been playing some of your lists I believe Darren um, he, he and. Has. Um, he, I thought I went to some tournaments, but boy, that that guy gets the gets the uh, the air miles in, and um, I'm not you'll quite be sure how they do it. Soon. No, but I'd like to think you'll be hitting some tournaments soon, though, Leo. I, I would love to. There's, uh, I will definitely be going to Nova, which is end of August, and I'll try to get on the wait list for a, a tournament in July, Summer Slaughter. But work has been very pesky and busy, so I haven't had really the chance. But so, are there I'm many tournaments to. where you live? Oh, none. Oh. None whatsoever. So Nova oh. actually is 
15 minutes from where I live. But then a lot of the tournaments, you have to travel at least a couple of hours to get there. Oh, and I was going to tap having... you up and stay on your sofa. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately, there's really not much going on. But I was I was debating San Diego, but then do you? it just felt weird to have a full work week and then have a six-hour flight and then play six games and fly back six hours. Oh, yeah. And then oh, you... go back to work. The next day, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to get used to it now, Leo. This is it. I, I am. But it, it, for context, it's like as if you were you went to a tournament. I don't know in Israel or something like that. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like a different ballgame. Like Americans are made of something different. Like the, the stamina they have to have to do these tournaments is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. If we have any American listeners, which we know we do, you're out there. Uh, send us in some top tips. Or send them to send your tips to Tiny Dino underscore AOS. So he yeah, can get please, some tournaments. Please please. I, I need to know the secrets. I need to know all of them. You need we to do see have... where you are. So, like, there must be—is it Washington D.C. that you're, you're in? Yeah, there must it be is. a scene there. There must be some fellas and ladies playing there. There should be, yeah. But it is also because it is such a vast, vast country. It is more dispersed. Mm. So I think, and I could be wrong. So please correct me and let me know. But. A lot of the Americans tend to play through tournaments. That's why they go to so many tournaments. Is because that's a good opportunity for them to get like concentrated games in. But I also do know that Americans are completely happy driving four hours just for <laughs> an evening and then driving back four hours. So maybe they get games like that way too. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think that there are. From what I understand of it, there's not really any clubs. I think a lot of gaming groups are ra- mainly based around like stores. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know exactly. But that's how I understand it. Mm. So it's Londoners right, we'll do not know Leo. how well they have it. They really don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get you sorted, Leo. So we wanted Leo on because he is himself a GT winning uh, AOS player. So we've got we've got all the experts here, guys. We've got all of this, and this episode is about deployment. Mm. Um, but before we get into the focus of that, um, I think it's fair from all of us just to say we want to say a massive thank you to everyone who gave feedback and sent us some absolutely lovely messages from the first episode. So mm. thank you, everyone. It was very unexpected, but no less lovely for it. So, yes, just thanks from all of us. Um, yeah, very humbling. Very nice to wake up, lots, wake up to lots of lovely messages. Happy days. Thank you. Right. Shall we start? So the most important subject to discuss regarding deployment and that's clocks, everyone. Let's talk about <laughs> clocks. I'm, I'm joking again. How many times do you think I can get away with the same joke on the episodes? I'm definitely single one. No, we're not going to talk about clocks. But let's start. Let's start right at the beginning. Deployment, Leo. Mm-hmm. Darren doesn't think deployment exists, and so do you think it's impo- important or not important, or do you think? It's less important now in three than it was in one or two, or without being too facetious, because I'm obviously winding Darren up now. Uh, can people get away <laughs> with yeah, being? I'm livid. I'm sitting here livid. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, do you think people can get away with being bad at it, and therefore it's not that important? Or um, I'm basically asking this in, in a way to mm. try and get you to talk about your lovely thoughts um, about chess and chess openings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So well, go for it. I mean, living testament, obviously, is how far Darren has come. So. surely deployment can no i mean deployment is obviously i think some of the flack that they get from is because of how long range shooting has dominated but deployment still is your first movement phase in all honesty yeah and as a result we know we know that the games are one in movement 
And this is one where there's no, like you get to make all the choices yourself and you even get to react to what your opponent does unless you're playing one drop. But then, so obviously it's hugely, hugely important and can either set you up for success or set you up to be behind from where you will have to work a lot harder to try to get back to a winning position in the game. And I will be putting a lot of chess analogies in there because I think it's, it's, it's very analogous of like choosing an opening or how you respond to an opening is how you deploy. And mm-hmm. I think it's super yep. awesome. It's, it's the best part of the game. And, and do you think, is it, do you think that's changed with the additions? Do you think, do you think it's less important or is it more important now? Or do you think it's the same? I think it's just as important as ever. I think why it will become more and more important as the additions go on is not because of the additions inherently, but because people are getting better at the game. Mm. And it's another mm. phase where you can improve yourself and you yeah. can also get punished in it. So it, I think it's much more important to deploy well in AOS 3 than it was in AOS 2 or 1 because you get away with a lot more mistakes in the earlier yep. years. Mm. Okay, interesting. And the reason I really want to bring you on um, is Mm -hmm. I do want to talk about the chess analogy, but just before we go deep into it, because I've been winding him up, uh, Darren, (laughs) deployment, (laughs) (laughs) what do you think? Well, I think, well, I'll address your earlier comments. Um, You have purposefully taken me out of context. Early age of Absolutely. Yeah, you've done it on purpose and you've got to rise and I'm rocking backwards and forwards in my chair now. (laughs) Um, Early Age of Sigmar 3, some of the tomes for me took a lot of the skill out of deployment and and thus my enjoyment of the game. I think any faction that has access to table-wide abilities to just take off key pieces in a one drop on a board that's smaller on scenarios where you're closer together um wasn't particularly healthy for the game various factions have got no answer to it and that's that when i said deployment this is going back months as well you motherfucker um when i said (laughs) when i I made those comments um that's what i was sort of referring to Um, there things have started to develop now uh tomes are coming out that are much better and leah makes a great point there people are um getting much better at the game i wasn't so annoyed for people like myself that are uh, that were more capable let's say of dealing with these horrible factions but just seeing on twitter people getting absolutely tabled in one one turns just yeah. just sickening uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think it's getting better now. So deployment is fucking important, Alex. It's probably, for me, the most important skill to um, master. Um, and it's one of the easiest ones to master. Because whoa, you can... whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. Well, what did you, you just say? Well, let, well, let, let's, let's let Darren finish for a second. Yeah, go on, go on Darren. Well, yeah. Because you can practice deployment on your own. You're, you don't have to have someone in front of you. So the limits of time um aren't aren't necessarily there okay so I, just, I think it's super important one of the most important skills to master one of the ones that you should be constant if you want to get better at age of sigma the first thing you concentrate is your is is your deployment fine and so i, I see that as in because you can practice it a lot more beforehand before you're even in time pressures it's one of those ones that you can try and get better at without everything else right 100 percent. 100 anytime i've created a list um, I'm always factoring in 
how I'm going to deploy with it in various scenarios against the entire field that I expect. Well, not the entire field, but the top 25% of the field that I um, that I expect to be facing. Um, yeah. Deployment is very, very much a consideration for, for list building. Well, that's that, that leads into my next question, which was going to be, uh, when do you start thinking about it or when should our listeners start thinking about it? Um, is it before they've even picked a faction? Is it before they're writing list or is it after they pick the faction and they've, re- they've written a list with a certain play style? When, when do you, I'm, I'm going to ask this to all three of you, let's start with Owen. When, when do you start thinking about the deployment in, the, in that process? Yeah, definitely in the in the list writing process. Generally, because I like to, um, I play. I know it sounds a bit odd, but I play in a very visual manner. Like I think about the shape of the army and how it both sort of pushes forward or controls objectives to score points. And also, I like to play very synergistic armies. So you think to yourself, I'm putting in these two to three buff heroes they need to then synergize with these units to then you know make the most of that hero phase because what follows on from deployment you know often you have the choice and then it's that hero phase and generally that's the phase in which you apply your buffs you set yourself up for success so yeah from the moment you think oh i like that army you know i think that that's going to suit my play style or i want to play this thing then yeah the 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 synergistic elements of the army need to sing together like a little orchestra and then the shape of that army is then determined as you're deploying in your deployment so yeah i'll always i'm a bit old school like i think a lot of people do it on tts and like darren says about practicing your deployment i will draw little drawings while i write lists (laughs) okay yeah um so i'll have little scraps of paper with you know my blocks of troops and you know, thinking about the footprint and how that can be. Because I play a lot of castles as well, a lot, a lot yep. of castle spell builds, lots of holy within 12s, holy within 18s, or this guy needs to be within three of that. And, you know, you work from the the middle of the onion, as I like to call it. You know, you, you have your onion and you sort you of... You like the layers. You like the, you like the layers. layers. So, yeah, super important from the moment you start thinking about your list. Um, you've got to think about how that starts because, yeah, I picked this up from Darren and, yeah, deployment as the first movement phase is an amazing, like, line. I think that's a brilliant line and I think people should have that in their minds when they're thinking about their deployment and their list, right? Great. Leo? Definitely. It's definitely in the list building phase where you have to start considering it because ultimately the type of list you write dictates of how it's, how you want it to play in the first turn and to understand how it plays in the first turn, you have to deploy it. Well, so and you can do it many different ways. You could have an army like Owens where like he likes the castle style builds where it's very rigid, or then maybe you're building an army like say like an AOS one style Dreadwood where you have the bare minimum on the board to try to cover the maximum amount of avenues to stop from stormcast deep strike and so on. So you're writing just enough those small units in there so you can cover yourself while then st- still having the maximum amount of flexibility to then do your actual thing. So if that's yeah, hugely, hugely important in list building phase. And then I, I just wanted to address my woe woe there for Darren's because I think, <laughs> Darren, what you meant is that's the most convenient to practice, but I think deployment is actually immensely difficult for, well, uh, uh, newer and more experienced players alike because 
you have to understand, to your point, what the top field does, how they like to play. And if you're just deploying in a vacuum with not really where you're only thinking about your buff ranges, for example, you might then rock up to a tournament and you're playing as a new book and then you didn't understand, well, actually they have this kind of reach and so on. So I think the barrier to entry is really high to be good at deployment, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it is nonetheless like something that you have to start thinking about list building. Yeah, I, 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 I'd, um, I'd agree with that. I think what I was trying to say for someone that's new, the, the, the one bit of the game where you can get up to speed at would be deployment to go to the next level and compete at the highest levels. And absolutely it's, it's incredibly difficult to master, but if you're someone that's regularly going one, four at an event, if you concentrate on your deployment a little bit, you'll soon notice that you're getting two threes and three twos. Um, that's very fair. That's very, very fair. That, that make, I, mean, I think that's what I meant. It's certainly not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think be, I think I, I I for one definitely understood what you're trying to get to. So, um, and Darren, for you, when you're when you write lists, you did mention a bit about it. You're as you're writing them, or let's take your uh, world championship winning Seraphon list. Um, it, it's it's difficult because um, in recent years I've had to just play Seraphon because I was concentrating on worlds and then sort of COVID happened and I didn't manage to get to any events. Um, historically, if I'm thinking to myself, right, I'm going to this event, um, the first thing I'm thinking about is the problems that are within any given meta. Um, so as an example, when Dragons first came out, before they were even out, it was very apparent to me what a fucking problem they potentially could have been. Um, so then you've got a, you, I'll, I will be imagining if I was the dragon player, what are the things that I can do? Um, and then I'll be thinking about well, what lists can deploy in a manner that mitigates the damage that dragons can do. I think this is all an example. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Makes sense. So so to this make is before it, you've even picked Seraphon, then even before that stage, you're thinking historic, historically, yeah. To take yeah. Um, to take the evolution of my um, Seraphon list, um, I was thinking, right, I need to be able to. I want to take Croak because I think he's very good in the mirror, but Croak is susceptible to dragons. How do we protect Croak? Um, and we can protect our support pieces by using Alpha Beasts for example. So that's why Alpha Beasts made it into the list, because in that matchup, I can make sure that Croak and my various support pieces are safe from a turn one dragons just just dragon breathing them off. Um, and an example of that would be at um, the Hans GT in round four, I played Tom Matthews. Um, he had an army of dragons. And the first thing he said to me as I came to the table was, oh, I've just played Croak. Um, I tabled him in two turns and I was thinking, oh, brilliant. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. I, I went, oh, well done. And then I alpha beast moved my um, Bastilodons forward. And then it dawned on him that he wasn't able to dragon breath croak off. And then that put him in a weird space and he gave me the first turn. Um, so my, I'd already thought about that situation and what I hoped would happen in that situation, it would put someone off their game and it short wired him. You know, he wasn't able to do what his list was designed to do. Um, and, I, you know, I, and I did well in that game from, from that point onwards because he kept going, oh, I should have just gone first. I should have just gone first. Yeah. Um, and that, 
so that's an example of how there was a problem and you can potentially solve that problem perhaps a too strong a term but you can mitigate the, the damage that problem can do at the um, list building stage and part of that damage mitigation come, um, comes from how you deploy deploy your army yeah okay and Does so that <laughs> yeah that makes no that makes perfect sense absolutely so you were thinking about a, a problem even before the construction of that list and where you were going to deploy those pieces to stop that problem um and so do you do you find that you are you're trying to think of lots of the different problems or you're you're weighing it up in your head and you're thinking right dragons are the big bad at the moment this is the one that i want to be able to deploy against or are you trying to cover as many bases as possible you don't you it's impossible to cover all bases so for me i will try and think to myself what are the main problems and to go back to the hans gt for me the main problems would have been at the time dragons um i'd heard a lot about how good magas were <laughs> how good yeah, magas were. Yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was worried about them nurgle obviously with their pre-game moves um etc um and <clears throat> and obviously i was concerned about seraphon i had to take seraphon so i needed a list that could do very well into all of those. Another uh, problem would have been Legion of the First Prince. That's an army that rarely loses. You know, in the hands of a skilled player, they'll they'll lose very well. So those are all the problems that I'm faced with with my own Seraphon list. The first thing I try to identify, and this is a tournament tactic for that I use, hopefully quite successfully. Um, I can't solve all those problems in one list. That's not possible. So what you do is you consider which army is the one that's going to be winning, but winning the least. And in this case, it's Legion of the First Prince. So I don't have to be as good into legions as I do the other factions, because the tactic is to do well early on and then avoid legions. Um, And in actual fact, my Thunder Lizard is probably worse into a legions of the First Prince faction than it is into um the others you know i actually thought i had a better game against seraphon a better game against dragons um a better game against nurgle etc um but we're getting into the realms of list building here though aren't we sure Um, no no sure but (laughs) there's all a massive link between all of them though right like yeah there's a real there's a real mesh between list building and deployment and tournament strategy um but how you do how you deploy is super uh super important great i think that's perfect um and that sort of leads on to now that we're talking about it that kind of mesh of the list your kind of play style um owen you mentioned that you like playing your kind of synergistic builds your 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 kind of castle type builds um, and then that leads you into, I'm assuming, you want to deploy within those ranges to make sure that they all work. You, mm. you, you said you drew kind of plans out. Do you, do you find that you, during the space of the tournament, so let's say this weekend, you've, you've got your plan set out. How do you go about kind of constructing that? Is, it, is, it, is that plan all based on the ranges or are you thinking about the scenarios in that, in that tournament? How do, how do you go about kind of making that plan? And kind of a side question to that is, how how rigid are you with your plan? Are you doing it four out of the five games or all games or maybe one or two? Is it is it very rigid or is it very fluid? Um, I'd probably like to think in my own mind that it's more fluid than it is, but it probably mm. is relatively rigid. I think 
But at the same time, any kind of rigidity in the game is dangerous, I think, in terms of like, um, you know, if you only feel you've only got one win condition and you you kind of, I think Darren spoke of it in the past where you're kind of, you're, you you almost like you have this playbook and, you know, you, you've got to be able to, especially when you're medium to high drops, like if you're if you're going for that, if you've got the opportunity to be reactive during a deployment, then you need to make the most of that. So, for example, um, sequencing is really important. So in terms of the plan, there's always like, little clusters like little cells within your yeah. army yeah. list where you'll know that these things need to go with these things and this hero likes to be with those guys and etc cetera, etc cetera. um so, so with that do you have an order do you know which yeah, order exactly. you're going to put stuff down do you know which Often. unit you want to put down to yeah. start with yeah 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 again like a huge part of deployment is the tells you know like you can either especially i find with your first say you like i run or normally i run army certainly in this edition I like to run Hunts of the Heartland. So automatically you're at two or three drops. And then if you're at two or three, then I think what's the point in trying to be super low, as long as you're maybe like seven or something or six to try and outdrop most Seraphon lists because you don't want to give them a double. Um, then from that point, you know, you you might be at sort of, let's say six drops. The first three of those, um, I tend to be like little support characters, especially fast moving characters that you can show like you look like you're going in one place but if you've got a fast moving buff character like a liege cavalos in an obr army he's often my first drop because he's a 12 or a 15 inch move and then he has a 12 inch aura of plus one attack in either the shooting or the combat phase so i can bait to look like i'm going somewhere and then if i'm given first turn or i have the opportunity to take it he's fast enough to then go and apply those buffs in a number of different places around so yeah i will sequence it that i'd normally put him down first and then, you know, if there's a more rigid character that, for example, a bone shaper, like I took this weekend, his buff is within one inch of a unit. I can give them a five up ward, plus one to ward saves. He'll be very late to go down because once he goes down, if my opponent is good and he knows what that character does, that then tells where the troops will go. So definitely having, I, I really like fast moving buff characters, especially from playing this weekend, because it allows you to, make your opponent especially against a one drop it makes them look like you're going somewhere and you can even do it with your uh faction scenery if you've got a faction scenery piece i've heard a play um at worlds actually i think it was fabian did it where he used his realm shaper engine and he showed he put it on one flank and his opponent thought right he's going to put his little wizards in there and they're going to do all the realm shaper stuff and his army's going to cast around it and his opponent deployed opposite and then he just gave it up and deployed his whole army on the opposite flank and on that the opposite gave him side. Okay. Yeah, gave him a massive advantage. So I definitely think um pieces that aren't it's not incumbent on them being in a specific location. If they're fast enough to get somewhere, you can then bait people out and mess with their plans to give yourself an advantage or give yourself a flank. Um so yeah that that that's definitely a, a tactic that I try and employ. Sometimes to my detriment, which maybe I'll get onto later. Um but yeah, that's definitely, um, yeah, sequencing is massively important and um, manipulating the one drop is really important as well. Um, may I say something about um, sequencing? Of course, you, of course you may, Darren. So I, I said earlier, if you want to get better at the game, start with deployment and you start, for me, um, you, this is for anyone at any level, 
or wow, maybe towards towards the bottom, or if you're just starting out on your Age of Sigmar journey, but get the basics right. And the first thing you can do when you create your army list is jot down who is going to go down first, second, third, etc. Um, and a generic approach to that, if you've got any pieces that can be placed off the board, like the prime, for example, then they're the first things that go down first because you give no information away to your opponent. So there's, I love that. I love doing that in my Seraphon list. Um, and that's why I try to have some units in a list that will be able to be deployed off the board because the first thing you can do is go, right, my prime's in the sky. <laughs> over to you <laughs> and i just love that it gives me a great sense of control you get to you get to see where your opponent puts down their first piece as long as they don't have anything in the sky obviously um sure the, the next order of importance for me would be the do the things that are fucking obvious and the fucking obvious things will be things like screens you know your opponent knows you've got screens they know you're going to be using those so if you've got like I'll keep going back to my list, but I guess it's the best way to sort of um, to sort of um, give you examples. In, in my uh, worlds list, I've got two units of ten skinks, so they will then go down after the prime's gone down, um, and then it comes down to once you've things that are more and more important, obviously get put down towards the end. Um, but when you're when you're doing this, pay attention to the order your opponent's putting things down in as well, because you'll get some visual cues as to what they regard as most important. Um, If they've got different support pieces, for example, like they might have a skink priest and a skink star priest. If they put their skink priest down first, then they think their skink star priest is more important. So when you're doing your uh, priority selections i always think to myself right i'm going to put down the pieces that my opponent thinks i'm going to try and kill the pieces that my opponent thinks are most important they might not necessarily be the ones that i think are most important but they are to them um so you can and have that written down and the reason having um your sequencing nailed on is because in any given game your brain can only make so many decisions before it starts becoming impaired. You'll get something called, um, that's to coin a phrase, decision fatigue. And if you've got <laughs> the more things that you don't have to think about right at the beginning of the game, that decision fatigue will be, um, you know, extended. You'll start, you'll, if you have to think about, if you don't have any of this pre-planned, then your decision fatigue might kick in in turn three, whereas if you had this already sort of pre-planned, it might kick in in turn four. And you'll be able to, the more decisions, the more you can think about your deployment, and, and, and this starts with sequencing, the more you can have that before you go into a game, the more control you'll feel, um, and the later you can postpone that decision fatigue, and the clearer your mind will be. So it's it's just super, super important to get these very basic things right. Okay, perfect. So that it's almost like a a pre-plan. This leads into the strategy that you're going to do during the game. And actually, if you've got all that sorted, you've got that set, less decisions, less pressure for you, and off you go and try and get better at the rest of the game as well. And Um, you can pay more attention to what your opponent's doing. If you're you're taking less time putting things onto the board, you can sit back and watch what your opponent's doing, which is super important as well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that really that leads really nicely, um, Leo, into what mm-hmm. I was going to um, kind of get into about this, and I and I find this really interesting with with 
how you talk about chess and the comparison with chess about opening lines. And for those of you that don't play chess, there's there's lots of uh, opening lines or known lines and how best to play certain lines. And so Darren and Owen have both mentioned that they are deploying in a certain way in a certain sequence that will enable them to counteract what their opponent will do or how to get themselves into the best position. And I just want to dig a bit deep into to how you compare that with with chess lines and, and if you think that's useful for you during Sigma when, you, when you're using the similar sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just thinking to myself when Darren was explaining that, that that sounds like a lot like trying to stay in theory as long as you can. So for context, staying in theory means that it, you're either following a very, very high-level game that has already been played before, or that... We're talking a, about chess at the moment, right? At chess say, at the moment, exactly. Say, yeah. And then, or at the very least, you are still in your preparation, which is another thing that Darren was mentioning there. Like, put your sequencing down. Like, for Darren, it was perhaps like, you know, how you put the skinks down the Celestin Prime. For Iron Jaws, it's probably like, well, your War Chanters have such a huge buff range that where you put them really doesn't give much information away at all, so... Those are good sequencing pieces to start with. But ultimately, you having your prep done and understanding of where you want to go allows you to make better... Like, Well, because the decisions are made for you. You already know what you're going to do in a given situation if you face it. So, And the more you have those mapped out, the less you'll go into... venture into a territory that you haven't prepped for, right? And it can be really helpful to have that mapped out, especially when you're trying to just go as far as you can in tournaments where you can then outplay your opponents because you're in a much better spot because you know what you think they're going to do and you know how you're going to address it. And it's, it's, I think that's very, very similar to in chess. You might be like, well, I know the first six moves for sure. Then I know that if they do this, then I respond to it with that. And if they do this, I'll respond with that. And anything else is strictly, strictly just worse. And then you can follow like some kind of generic plan. Yeah. And that to me is like some of the most fun crossover between chess and Age of Sigmar is trying to map out those like, okay, you've done your deployment, right? You've gained some advantage because you've done your sequencing and they haven't. And now you're, you can exploit, you can build on that advantage by also then exploiting the weaknesses they have created in their deployment because you know what you want to achieve and they clearly didn't as well as you did. So you know your sequence, you know your plan and then exactly. you, you can change it at the edges, but you know the rough the rough how the game's gonna go out already without anything any dice being rolled, essentially. Exactly. And so how do you find that so we, we were getting a lot of questions in um about sequencing and, and, and ordering it, which you've all explained really, really nicely. Um but lots of the questions are about well, how how do you face things that are then you weren't expecting with your sequence? So, lots of questions, lots and lots of questions about deploying into or against one drops. Mm-hmm. And Darren mentioned it a little bit um, already, um, talking about the kind of the dragons and how to kind of mitigate that. But there's lots and lots of questions from people about well, I've got my sequence, I've got my order of the the troops that I know that I want to put down and within buff ranges, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then I hit someone with a massive one drop or I hit someone who's got a, a redeploy at the end of it and, and it gets them very confused and, and it gets them kind of out of their, out of their process. Um, any thoughts on, on to kind of how to kind of combat that you've got your sequence. How, how do you, how do you become more flexible into these sorts of things? If I stay with you, Leo, to start with. No, that that's, it's, 
It's a great question because it is such a difficult skill to hone in on because ultimately what you're describing is that they did something unexpected and you just weren't counting on it. My first piece of advice is if you don't understand what your opponent is doing, well, A, there's a good chance that they might be doing something bad, right? So if you don't recognize what they're doing and you're like, hey, why would they ever do that? You should explore the option that they might have just made a mistake that you can exploit. So just because you didn't expect it doesn't mean that it's bad news. But let's say that they did make a good play. A good idea then is to think like, okay, what was my game plan? Can I still execute on it? Like they they gain an advantage by redeploying and now I'm out of position. How do I then now go from that situation to try to get back to an advantageous position? So you mentioned, for example, redeploy. Let's say that you're playing against Bastion and Long Strikes, right? So you were you're expecting because they didn't have a Lord Lord Relictor, the long strikes would stay where they're deployed. These are obviously shooting it with really long range, so you deployed out of it, but then you forgot that, hey, I've only played against Bastion once before, and I forgot that he can redeploy at the end of the phase, and now stuff is in range. Okay, mistake is made. Now you can start to think, like, okay, that probably will cost me something, but what can I try to do to mitigate it? Will I just go to the objectives? Will I just focus on battle tactics and Maybe I'll just accept that I'll lose two of my war chanters. And then how to play from there is what you should focus on. Don't get stuck on or hung up on the fact that you made a mistake, but try to think of how you can get out of it. And in that in that very example, if you know about the redeploy already, um, are you then dramatically changing your sequence, your your kind of order of units going down, or are you, or are you you're just being slightly more flexible with it, knowing that that redeploy might happen? Ultimately, to me, it boils down to I actually. Some people really like to deploy out of completely, like completely out of threat ranges, right? And I think maybe in earlier editions of the game, it used to be more possible because shooting ranges were shorter. But now with such long shooting ranges, you don't want their deployment to dictate too much of what you want to achieve in the game. You just have to accept that in this meta, you will lose pieces. (laughs) <laughs> as you're going across the board and you your deployment has to reflect that and probably your list building as well but i know this episode is not about that but if you have any kind of redundancies maybe offer one of the pieces that you can lose without losing your game plan up for like hey you can shoot this but i want it to be here because then it'll be in position to support me in coming turns in better places yeah absolutely so again it's that really close link between you know, you're thinking about your list and and planning it out and that deployment, and so you have the pieces to trade. And I and I I heard some I heard some laughter there, Darren. I know I know I know you want to come in and and talk about this because I know you're quite passionate about this. Oh no, I was just I was just nodding along. I think too a mistake a common mistake people will make is they will try to you know lose nothing, and it's it's just basically impossible <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. With and so and like chess is a game of sacrifice age of sigmar is um has become wow it has always been that has it you know you do you do your trades um but you're you're right you can offer people juicy juicy targets and whilst you're thinking when you're factoring your early plans then just imagine those pieces aren't there (laughs) exactly um, and then if they are, you know, by some miracle, because it's a game of dice and sometimes people roll poorly, sometimes you roll well, um, then happy days, it's a bonus. But don't get negged out when you when you lose when you lose pieces. Um 
Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree. And I would say one thing we haven't really touched on is that obviously we're fighting a we're fighting army on army, right? We're deploying and counter deploying and there's probably two things that we haven't quite touched on yet, which is one is like threat ranges. Like whenever I come up to a table and the first question my opponent asks is like, what's turn one threat range? You're like, okay, we got a game here. This guy knows, or this girl knows what they're on about. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a, it's like this seesaw between um, wanting to impose your battle, your plan and your deployment and, you know, your, your win condition. You want to impose that on the battlefield. And then you're then trying to, it's a game of risk management, isn't it? And and you're you're then you know trying to leverage you you're trying to get this. I see it like a scales. It's like trying to impose my battle plan and trying to mitigate what what they want to do all at the same time. It's a careful dance, um, and then that then counters in with, I mean, the point you were making, Darren, about how you know you can you can deploy to not lose anything, but you probably lose the game because <laughs> we're not we're not just fighting army on army. We're playing over objectives. So you need to be deploying to consider what the shape of your army is going to be on the those said objectives. And then, you know, like seeing potentially, like you say, we are going to lose our pieces. Things are going to die. It's a war. So where they die, you know, um, where you're fighting over, how you're scoring on those primary points, how you're getting your battle tactics, like all of that has to key in. And I know it probably sounds quite a lot to take on board, but that's the sort of balancing act that you're, that you're kind of that, 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 that tightrope that you're walking as you go through your deployment. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, if you go 100% all the way one end, and like you're we saying, you know, you, you, you just deploy to mitigate what they can do in a game with long range, such long range shooting, you know, that's, that's a pathway to, failure so you you've got to set yourself up to get onto those objectives just as much as you know fight a fight a war um that that would definitely be something that people need to keep in their mind yeah sorry darren i was gonna i was gonna owen sort of brought up threat ranges um i think there are two there are two good approaches one for people that you know just starting out on their age of sigmar journey and one that's perhaps a bit more advanced i'm not sure if anyone else does it but i'll share it with you now um so first of all, when you're asking your opponent your threat ranges, you can literally put out dice and you can say, so if I deploy my character here, there's no way that that unit of snakes are going to be able to move and then shoot me because they move eight. They've got a 24 inch range. That's 32 inches. You're 11 inches onto the board. Uh, I'm, you know, my 25 millimeter skink priest or whatever. I keep saying seraphon things because I've obviously got it on the brain. Um, You've got a brain, yeah. 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 So if I, if I put it here, it's impossible that that guy's getting shot. And you can literally put a dice. So you've got, you can create little safe zones, you know, and that, that's good to do early on in the game. Um, but it does signal intent to your opponent. So one thing you can do, or one of the things I try to do, is hide what my plans are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest mistake you can make is actually starting to – it sounds counterintuitive because what you should be doing early on is measuring everything <laughs> – Um, But as you perhaps get a bit more advanced in the game and you've got a better understanding of ranges, you want to try and stop using your tape measure to do that so much because it it can it can signal intent. And you're trying to hide your intent all the time. You're trying to watch and figure out what your opponent's doing. Um, Deployment is the first um, sort of information gathering part of the game. So you don't want to give anything away. 
a way you can get rid of <laughs> a way you can hide your intent is be the first person to the table if the terrain's set up um and then <laughs> just fucking measure everything so while your opponent's not there you know that um i'm 24 inches from this piece of scenery to this piece of scenery so i know if i deploy here i'm 24 inches away and i don't have to i don't have to measure it i can just know it and i don't give anything away um and you can do that with all various points uh, another thing you can do is so i just made an example there with the snakes and they've got like a 32 inch threat range etc you can you don't need a tape measure because you can reverse math it so you know that the board's 44 inches you know that they're 11 inches on you know that they can go 32 inches so that's 43 so if i deploy my my guy within an inch of the table he's safe um so you don't have to you don't have to mark things out but that's when you're more comfortable um with with with, with the mathematics i mean i'm not i don't think i'm explaining myself too well but no no it makes perfect sense yeah yeah absolutely you can have a good understanding of the board without using a tape measure but if you don't have an understanding of the board you can build that by using your tape measure initially and then eventually you want to be hiding your intent by not using it at all, but by doing some cheeky things when you get to the table. <laughs> but you can you even have... do that before you get to the table, right, Darren? You you mentioned that, like, you know the deployment zone, and you know that if the shooting yes. cannot come further away than 32 inches, you know that there's going to be those couple of inches that you can safely deploy in. So you don't need any measurements. You don't need to give anything away from that. You can do exactly. it very casually, but... What you can even do then, and what I've seen people do at higher level tables is that, okay, in theory, right, the snakes could be on the front line. But if you, especially if you match drops, that would be a, or like, you know, you, whatever, like, you know, if you might be in a position to go first, for example, they can't deploy them at the line because then you could just go first and kill them. So then you can think, okay, realistically, the snakes are not going to be the front line. So you really have Mm -hmm. a couple more inches where you can put your stuff. And that's where I think like deployment optimization can come in is where you manage to like, you know, okay, in theory they could do something, but that's so terrible because of other reasons that realistically mm-hmm. they'll, you'll have more room to work with. But that, that again, is probably something that takes quite a bit of practice. Mm-hmm. I think another little, you made me think of another example that's quite similar, which is people get quite bogged down when you're playing against an army that can teleport. They try to like make 18 inch, they're measuring nine inches to block off you know, all of these potential positions that a unit could get in. But a unit isn't like on a half an inch <laughs> square, is it? It's like, you know, especially like a key unit, they're like, oh, they want to teleport in, you know, their 15 bow snakes. Like 15 bow snakes take up a decent amount of real estate. So you don't need to zone out like to that little point. You can, you know, you can give them enough room that they can put their little buff hero in the corner, you know, be my guest. But, um, you know, you don't, when you're deploying, you don't need to, um, you know, zone out every square millimeter of the board. You can, you know, give some little gaps and, you know, uh, they're not going to get their key unit into that space. Um, yeah. One other thing you made me think of there, and I don't want to go off topic too much in terms of deployment, but um, I played against Simon Froley from Southland Legion this weekend, and he was playing Bow Snakes. So it's really pertinent sort of unit example and flipping it on its head if you're the snakes player there's some nice stuff you can do in terms of deployment in terms of he did it really well whereby 
Marathi Kane, you know, with Mind Razor is a, an amazing piece that can, you know, put an amazing buff onto normally the Shadow Queen. So he was always deploying. He deployed Marathi Kane right next to the Bow Snakes. So if you're out of range with perhaps, you know, your key support heroes, who in my case were like wizards, that meant that I was out of 32, which meant that I wasn't in range to unbind Marathi Kane's Mind Razor. So it was like, he was able to, during the course of deployment to, you know, put the snakes down, created like a no-go zone, which then made, meant that, that Marathi Kane didn't have an unbind on her. So you can, you know, manipulate those ranges mm. for benefit as well. Um, when you understand exactly, you know, all the ranges and the ver- different variables that can, can come from exactly where you place your pieces during deployment. Yeah, I like that. That's that's very cool. I agree with that. Yeah, and, and that actually um, kind of leads into my what I was going to speak to, what, something that you've all mentioned actually is, is about, you, you mentioned that you're trying to gain information and you're trying to get, get your threat ranges down. And when you're deploying, it, it's obviously very dependent on how many drops you are versus how many drops your opponent is. And again, lots of the questions we get, we got sent in were, were regarding the kind of one drop and uh how important is it for players to go for a one drop and therefore they can set out their stall and they can set out their ranges knowing that they will probably get, well, at least the choice of the first first turn or a roll-off? Or is the risk of being counter-deployed at the moment in Age of Sigma 3 too great that actually uh, you should start thinking about non-one-drop lists? What do we think? Darren, if I start with you, what, what you, what do you think about the kind of one-drop versus counter-deploy argument? Uh, It depends if you're a proactive or reactive sort of player. Um, I'm very much a proactive player. I know I'm going to make a ton of mistakes in any given game. I say this all the time. So I want to put my opponent under pressure so they A, don't notice them, and B, they make their own, which I'm quietly sitting back and looking for. (laughs) Um, So I, I will... If given the option, I will quite often go first, even though the standard logic is go second so you can prevent a double and, you know, get the first opportunity for a double. But I actually value just putting people under pressure and taking the board, Um, certainly if you've got pieces that that don't die, like the Incarnate, for example. Um, You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to using that, and I think... I'll get a lot of value out of going first in situations where most people wouldn't. Um, but that's a personal thing. So it's difficult to answer that for for people because yeah, if you're not, you're not a proactive player, then you don't get any value out of that kind of mindset. So you need to identify what type of player you are. You then need to identify what type of player you're playing against. And again, that's why I'm looking, why I'm why I've got my little plan and I spend more time trying to observe what my opponent's doing. If they're setting up very defensively, that signals to me that they're a reactive player. Um, and if they're a reactive player, then sometimes I'll make them go first <laughs> just to just to piss them off. If I'm playing Tom Maudsley, I know that he's a reactive player and he hates going first. So whatever I, if I get the choice, I'm setting up to make him go first. <laughs> <laughs> you just throw Tom under the bus. There we go. <laughs> Shout out to Tom. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, the I secret know... weapon against the English AOS captain. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my point is you can recognise, so it's just a super complicated question. If you're someone that's asking that and you feel you think to yourself, oh, I don't know the answer to this, 
right no fucker does <laughs> so just just relax it's not i don't think it's as big uh, we got loads of questions about it didn't we Alex? but i don't think it's actually at as important as people might think yeah absolutely and yeah. i and we were talking about this just before we started recording that actually lots of these questions don't necessarily have they're not yes or no they're not black or white answers because there are so many different variables in this game anyway even before you take into into account player personality and emotions on the day and etc cetera, etc cetera. so I, I don't think the one drop versus multiple drop question is necessarily answerable um but it's just quite nice to hear that from your perspective you being a proactive player means you are you quite like having the the impetus the that you quite like putting your your opponent under pressure and so actually maybe lower drops would be more beneficial to you rather than say someone that's reactive um Leo, I've seen you deploy multiple times and often annoyingly very well um, <laughs> against me. Um, how about you with that kind of one drop versus kind of counter deploy? Do you, do you find that what sort of player would you describe yourself as? And how, do, you, do you think there's a risk reward there for the counter deploying? So I mostly agree with what Darren said. I think it's a lot about the type of player you're not it also ultimately leads to what kind of list you're facing. So the type of list you're facing can give up a lot of information of how they're likely going to play. Obviously, mm-hmm. they could play in a suboptimal way by playing a reactive list in a proactive way or vice versa, but like it, we typically don't see that. But to me, the I think one drop lists are gatekeepers in the game in the sense that they are lists, and typically because they are very, very proactive lists then when they're uh, low drops, because they have a very specific game plan, typically a very, very aggressive one, and they will punish anybody who didn't do a good enough job at deployment, and they will just win the game outright. Or maybe just not even deployment, maybe that list just wasn't good enough to face that. So there will always be a place for one drop lists, and they will always be... Mm strong and sometimes when new books come in they might be so strong that until people have figure out how to beat them it is the way to go is to go one drop because then at least you have the dice roll of like maybe you get to stop them from going first but as you get more experienced playing against those armies or if their counters emerge in the meta then you can afford yourself more flexibility and choices by going higher drops if that makes sense so like one drop is a very big forcing function it's like a very forcing line in chess where you have to do these next seven moves exactly right or you just lose on the spot but if you know those seven moves then that's not a great opening anymore and i think a lot of the one drops list that we're seeing fall into that trap like if faced against somebody who's very well prepared and practiced against it and knows what they want to do they often fall flat because they win so many of their games in those first seven steps that they never practice the subsequent steps so yeah, so that and that leads really nicely into one of the listener questions, which uh, was how how to deploy against an alpha strike, like for example, Iron Jaws, which is a very good question to ask you, Leo, because if for people that don't know, Leo has won a grand tournament with Iron Jaws. So, um, how, how do you find you? What, what's how, what's the key to beating your own faction? People that are trying to kind of one drop alpha strike you off the board. What, what's, so, your, what's your kind of top tips for that? Off, so it, it goes back to trading, right? And having screens. So we saw for a while when the new Warplants book came out that absolutely everyone was getting destroyed. But that's because we were in a meta where 
we faced almost exclusively a lot of shooting where screens have a lot less value. So people didn't run a screen. So then when somebody ran at you with 27 pigs, they would just <laughs> come over and you wink. Yeah, have a, exactly. have a really bad day. <laughs> you just have a bad <laughs> time, right? <laughs> but uh, therein, I think, lies the answer. Like you just screen them out, and the alpha will not work. And if your if your list doesn't have a screen, and iron jaws are big in the meta, you probably do, do need to have a screen. I, I faced this issue actually when I was playing uh, Richie, one of the Inladeos uh, Worlds team players in War in the Heartlands, where I was playing my Nagash list that has... It technically has 40 bodies, as just did weights. But it was, so, it was so thin on bodies, and I couldn't really afford to lose them, that I was faced with... Like, I have to give up something really valuable to not die first turn. <laughs> yeah. And to me, that was losing 20 zombies. But I actually misdeployed, and I also lost uh, 8 skeletons in addition. And that then put me into a really poor position. And the point I'm trying to make there is that you that when you're deploying against Iron Jaws, you also can't give them too much when you're screening away. Like try to give as little as you can while being able to not while not dying, basically. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And actually you're saying Oh sorry. Go on Darren. No go on Darren. Go on. I just I love the self admonishment for losing eight skeletons. (laughs) (laughs) When you have a total of forty three bodies and you're yeah. losing oh my god, 20. what a loser. I can't believe I <laughs> yeah. lost eight skeletons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It <laughs> yeah. made the game really difficult. Uh, it was, I managed to just at the end eco win, but that was also because I got big lucky at the end. But like having extra eight bodies would have made a massive difference. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> just thought it was funny. You were, yeah, you, yeah, were yeah. Ban- you were banished from the uh, realm of Shaish for oof, months. For, for reckless spending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so essentially, really, you didn't necessarily have a screen in that, but again, it's back to that kind of piece it's, trading again. Actually, exactly. You were screen happy with to whatever lose. you can. So if you don't have a screen, screen with your least valuable thing. And if, yeah. if you have nothing that's not valuable, then I guess be prepared to lose something that is valuable and try to get better at this running. Exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I guess that kind of leads on to the kind of one of the final sections about kind of the, the mistakes that we all see playing. Um, what one of the what lots of the questions were about the biggest mistakes we see, and therefore how to stop people making them, basically. So, so if I go around each of you, Owen, if we start with you, what 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 kind of the biggest mistakes you see people making when they're deploying against you? Maybe one of that happened this weekend. <laughs> yes. Do you know this story? <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you must be so happy, that stupid dragon. Um, so I think the biggest mistake you can make is we've talked a lot about sequencing and deploy and counter deploy, and there a narrative starts to develop through the course. You know, because like I'm sure that the guy, you know, everyone else on the pod would agree that you have this inner monologue, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They give me the turn. They give me the turn. Yeah, yeah. Especially like I play lists. Primarily, I play a lot of lists. Like I haven't, I've never played a one drop in um in Age of Sigma three. I don't know if it's because I'm obstinate, or I like to have more pieces, or I enjoy deploy and counter deploy, or I'm just really like Hunter the Heartlands. It's probably the latter. Um, but anyway, um, so when you've got a lot of pieces and, you know, you can you, you through the course of that, you know, you're able to see. So I think today, this morning, I did respect the list and I kind of felt like I knew what the ranges and things were. But during the course of deployment, so I was playing Bone Reapers. I had seven drops 
and Ben Murphy, who is an excellent player. He was playing Tempestai with with Crondis, this the 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 big not big the glorious Crondis dragon. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, the general <laughs> narrative. If you went up to the table and the way that he started deploying and the way that I deployed and the way that we were working through our deployment was, it looked like for all all the tea in China that he was going to give me first turn. You know, he had his screens up, he had his characters protected, everything. I don't have a huge amount of threat range. Um, it was a very, um, not a particularly dynamic army I took with me. Um, so it was like, I felt it was going to be, you know, I take first, or I get given first, buffs up, walk onto the objectives, brace for impact, hashtag my AOS3 life. That tends hashtag to be winning. Hashtag winning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, with a very resilient army. But Ben's a very savvy player. And basically, my final drop, and he kind of telegraphed where Krondus was going. There's a big gap. And he was miles away. He was like 24, 25 inches away or something from most of my stuff. So I was like, okay, he's out of line of sight. I can't debuff him with the, uh, with the, the Shrieker, not the Shrieker, the um, the Nexus. I couldn't make him minus one to cast a spell number because he was behind a huge piece of obscuring. You know, it's kind of, it, for all, like I say, it all looked like he was going to give me first. And it meant that I put a block of 20 Mortec too close to another block of 20 Mortec. All the Krondis lovers out there are getting really, really wet and excited. I'm getting about sal- I'm I'm salivating. Getting so <laughs> I'm, I'm salivating. I just, I'm getting so excited. So again, um, you know, reading the board, and I felt I was being quite cute. And I, I deployed my second block of twenty more. My last drop um, before he put Krondis, uh, I just put down Krondis. I put them down, and they were the back edge of the twenty block was within nine inches of a piece of terrain so i felt like look i can put my buffs up on the center brace for impact and i can run my other 20 block even if i roll a one because obr can't rig a six i could roll a one and i still run my block in onto the objective and they're in cover they're on a three up save ignoring ren one i was like sweet i've got it all set the plan is set and um yeah he just took first turn and i i kind of knew that tempest i had plus one save but maybe i forgot I don't know if I'm making excuses for myself, but I basically gave him a Krondis-sized hole between 40 troops, um, which he could then... Ooh, baby. And he, <laughs> moved, he moved Krondis seven inches. He didn't actually need a huge charge, but he did roll a 10. And boy, that, that Krondis, it fitted into this perfect hole. So yeah, he oh, got... He gave him a lovely Krondis-shaped hole just for his big, big tail to start a whacking. Yeah, and if anybody doesn't know, Krondis gets an extra attack for every model within. Oh, of course! Uh, I was just thinking about the minus one attack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> so the, tail, he, the, tail, the pumped up tail on 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 crack. He zoomed over uh, with. I love Ben playing against Ben because he's got such a winning smile, and boy, that smile was like ear to ear when he made the ten <laughs> charge. And he counted up his models, and we agreed that he had thirty-two attacks. Ren two mm. two damage. <laughs> oh jeez! <laughs> and that tail. Oh god! I don't even think that the Mortec was swept off the board. They were swept out the building. They were gone before I knew what happened to them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that was me and my hubris. I think is the right word. But in, but in hindsight, going forward, um, mm. you think it would have been simply just a case of having the distance smaller? Do you think? Yeah. Uh, it would have been a case of deploying the Mortec about four inches further back, and then he wouldn't have gone for it with 
um, with I, with half of the amount of attacks that he he, he got. Um, and, and it was basically because during deployment, going back to the theme of the show, um, I deployed my um, my piece of scenery center left. I then deployed my liege Cavalos bang in the middle, kind of center left, which then meant that he deployed his kind of opposite. But all the whole time I was hoping and I then deployed more kind of top right. We're talking about a diagonal survival of the fittest deployment. So I wanted yeah. to fight over the middle and the right, but I made it look like I was going to go over the middle and the left. And I felt I was being super cute. And I, I did my play and I used my fast pieces to because I knew that I could deploy them central and then swing them over. And then just in the last minute, when I um yeah when I when I thought that I'd kind of you know deployed perfectly and he was going to give me first uh he 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 took it and um yeah massive mistake so basically um don't yeah don't take your eye off the ball during deployment like continue to respect the ranges and continue to respect the strengths of the army because even if you think that they're like i'm sure that a lot of players you know sometimes it's a massive mistake sometimes players go i'm taking first and you're like okay great you can't do anything on your first turn brilliant but sometimes it is a curveball that comes in and they do something unexpected. So, um, yeah, you've got to you, you've got to keep respecting what your opponent's doing whilst they're going through the deployment. Otherwise, you can um, Krondus can go uh, nuclear. Uh, which, go nuclear. Don't yeah. count your Krondises before they <laughs> hatch. hatch. All over your army, yeah. Before they hatch all just, over. Just to, I did kill Krondus on turn two, just, just so we're clear. But by that point, the game was done. So the tail had, the tail had gone crazy. The, the tail, uh, yeah, the tail was over. Yeah, Darren, biggest mistakes you see? I got uh, loads. I'll try and whiz through them. But I got go for it. Loads. Um, so first of all, if you make a mistake in deployment, don't tell your fucking opponent. Oh yes. my god! That's a great oh one. God, yes. that's, that's a really good. That's one I see a lot as well. They're like, yeah, ah, it drives me fucking mad. A, your opponent might not have noticed. B, don't embolden them. C, don't stress yourself out. What you do if you make a mistake is you puff your chest out and you act as if it isn't a mistake. <laughs> and then your opponent might be thinking to yourself, their self, fucking, what does he know? What does she know that I don't? <laughs> so don't tell your opponent you've made a mistake. Check your body language. Don't put your hands on your head. Don't cross your arms. Don't sit down. Just pretend nothing. Just pretend you're in complete control. Please. It drives me fucking mad. <laughs> right. That's the first one. Um, if you're... Don't spend too much time trying to create the perfect fucking deployment. Uh, like some people drive me a bit mad. They take half hour to deploy. It's not fair on your fucking opponent. You tell your opponent, oh, it, I, I, I'm going to take half hour doing my deployment, but my game will be really quick and all that fucking bollocks. It's not fair. Don't do it. Um, I, I, I don't I, I don't like that. You should have the same amount of time to deploy as your opponent. That's the fairest way to play Warhammer. I also don't signal intent. So I've got two examples here, one of my own from recent and one from um, the UTC. When I played Bill, the hot, is it the hot sauce? Bill so- the hot sauce or the Sous? I don't know how to say Bill it actually, but the Sous hot sauce. sauce. I'm going to say sauce because it sounds funkier. It sounds sexy, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I had to play that fine gentleman, the first game of international Age of Sigma I'd ever played uh, at the ETC uh, for, for Team England. I had to play the uh, American captain. And during during deployment, um, he asked me, so if I 
put all my troops here. You can't get your your warp lightning in. And he did it midway through our our deploying. And he signaled to me that he is giving me the first turn by doing that, which meant the rest of my deployment was super aggressive because I knew that I was getting the first turn. It's something that would have been easily avoided because at the time, warp lightning was a massive problem. And that's the sort of thing that you can have sorted before you're even at the table because you can practice deploying against it you don't you shouldn't need to reassure yourself um at the opponent do you know what i mean so you absolutely hide your intent um i did this recently at worlds i was playing mark the danish chap and i (laughs) went to he deployed his 15 judicators behind his screen of vindicators but at the side but the sort of I don't know, there was like a six inch gap between the side of the table and the vindicators. And I, <clears throat> my plan, because I've got um, Beastmaster, once a game, I can run and charge with my engine of the gods. So my plan was to deploy my engine of the gods and wang it straight into his judicators and hopefully try and take as many of them out as possible. Um, and also I had uh, an alpha beast moving Basti that would be able to move up and then charge the Vindicators because we're super close to each other to eat up the the stand and shoot. Um, and I, I don't know what I don't know why I did it, but I got my tape measure out and I measured 40 inches and I thought to myself, fuck, I put my tape measure away, hope that he hadn't noticed. And the next thing he deployed was a unit within that six inch gap after it, he'd seen me put down my my tape measure so i was very annoyed at myself (laughs) (laughs) so but i didn't like i kept that to myself you know i didn't go oh yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah Um, so don't signal intent don't um you know don't tell your opponent about the mistakes that you've made um when you're setting up your screens and you're fighting a combat army appreciate that that unit, that more crusher or that unit of pigs might destroy your screen. And then the unit, the other unit that's, that was charged that screen will then be able to pile in and attack, you know? So the things that you're trying to protect with your screens, make sure if your opponent's got a two inch reach that you're five inches back from the front line. If you've got uh, maggers, for example, they've got one of their, is it their ability where one of the chaps can pile in twice? You know, so don't be caught out by one MAGA going in, killing the screen, and then another MAGA that can pile in three inches and then three inches again. <laughs> you know, that's like a six-inch pile in plus their one-inch reach. You might be able to get to your – will be able to get to your nice sort of juicy stuff. So be be – you know, when you're using your screens, be mindful of the stuff that you're protecting. Think what's going to happen, you know – a turn in the future if you can't you should be thinking what's going to be happening two or three turns in the future but if you can't do that at least think what's going to be happening in in uh, one turn of the future um and then finally one one thing i see everyone do at every flight is this they're concentrating so hard on their own deployment and making sure it's perfect they are not concentrating on their opponent <laughs> there are so many visual tells there are so many there is so much to deployment. Just when you put a piece down, it's down. Don't fucking worry about it. You can't do anything about it. Take a breath and watch your opponent and watch what they're doing. That's that's huge. It gives away loads. Great. Thank you very much. Those are great. Leo, all yours. Uh, any mistakes that you see? 
I was just listening and all. I think those are all great points that Darren brought up, especially the one that you like keep in mind that you just compile it through because that's there's a game that I played against uh, Sebastian Del Monte Seb uh, a couple years mm. ago where it was game five, table one. He wanted to go second, but the way that he had deployed meant that I could tag his unit in best of course with a charge in because he had just left enough gaps for there to be a pylon through. So those small mistakes can cause big problems. So, And they're, again, to Darren's point, fully in your control. The, nobody can stop you from like deploying your models how you want. So that's that's like a key one with against combat armies in particular. The other mistake that I see, and I alluded to this earlier, is that when faced against a lot of aggression, I've seen even very seasoned tournament players deploy way too far back. So hmm. I've seen literally Fire Slayer armies deploy into the corner of the board just so that they couldn't be alpha off. They did yeah. not get alpha off, but they also never got to stand on a single objective the entire game. So yeah. <laughs> it's... You've got, you got, you got to try and win. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that gets back to all your points, right? That, that you're going to lose... You are going to lose things, and actually... If yes. you're so far back, you can't get anywhere near objectives. Well, you've doesn't matter what you lose because you're going to lose the game anyway. Yeah, but I guess, I guess what I wanted to draw from that this time, just so I don't just repeat, is that if you're somebody who's trying to get used to that fine balance, you might want to consider playing and I guess playing with an army that's faster, because if you have an army that is very fast and it flies, for example, you can deploy in a pretty flexible way, and even if it's not ideal you are, as long as you're centrally positioned, not dying, you can respond to just about anything, and then at least it will be a game. So one thing that I also, like, people obviously love aesthetic of their armies, and I'm not telling you to play what you want, but if you want to improve and you're struggling with that, consider not playing foot uh, fire slayers, fire slayers, or consider not playing 160 zombies where you need to know where they go, like, before the game begins. And instead, focus your efforts on having a good enough deployment with something that's fast that can react to your opponent's mistakes that they do in deployment with their slow army. So you get used to those, to reacting to someone else. Exactly. I've got the perfect army. Nighthorn. It's fast, it flies. And then after you've deployed, you can just pick three units up and take them off the board and redeploy them back at the end of the movement phase, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're going to say dragons there, Owen. No, <laughs> after today, Alex. After today, <laughs> don't even say that word on this podcast once more. Um, okay, no, great. I think that's a really good point. And going to what Leo said as well, um, Mark actually made a point uh, this weekend. The the TO Mark Wilson um, saying that he actually felt that newer players, because they're like they're maybe I wouldn't say more invested, but they have they're perhaps. I don't know, when you become more seasoned with the tournaments, you know that stuff's going to die, and newer players don't like seeing their stuff die, so they maybe do deploy a little bit too defensively because you know they just don't want to get their toys taken off, which is kind of like an emotional thing as much as a kind of tactical thing, isn't it? So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I definitely um, would echo Leo's thoughts on that. Perfect. Um, 
our next uh, bit was just to talk about tips, which is that's perfect. That's a really good tip. So um, I guess uh, for you, Owen and Darren, one one tip you would give people: what 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 should they be practicing? We had lots of questions about what sort of sh- what should I be practicing at home before I go to a tournament? What deployment things should I be practicing? Any tips for people? Um, my tip would be um, like learn all the missions because we, as I say, we fight over battle you know battlefields we don't just fight armies so learn you know how far you need to go to get onto objectives you know the shape of your army and um, i would say a tip a really good one uh, that i often use is well not often sometimes use is um uh tts tabletop simulator is really good if you want to like practice out your deployments just as much as um you know uh, doing it physically with your models i think tts can be really helpful and you can like what i like to do is um you know, you can set it up and have a play around, think about things, you know, almost like practice that sequencing. And then you could do a screen grab of it. And like that can be like a little visual. Um, like a visual, a visual cue for you. Yeah. yeah. And another tip I would say is that more and more tournaments, it seems to be we're moving in the direction of, of, of missions in advance. So you can practice your deployments on those specific missions. And then you just start to build this playbook up almost like a, a basketball coach. You know, you build your plays and you understand the shape of your army on all the different missions and you can still be reactive. You can still take on board everything that, that, that Darren and Leo and yourself have been saying, but you know, almost start with that core fundamental shape. And then, um, and then my t- again, because I work in a very visual, I play in a very visual manner. That would be, that would be my tips. There you go. Darren, any top tip for our budding generals? Um, so, pay you can you can take pictures of your deployment and you can when you make sure you reflect. I mean, this is just a this is a good thing to get in the practice on anyway, but reflect on all your games, you know, um, think to you, make make notes of. Well, I don't make notes, but that's because I'm not particularly organised. <laughs> but if you are an organised person, and there's plenty of them out there, then make take notes on on your deployments, what you did well, what you didn't do well. Um, if I was um, being critical of one of my recent deployments, I played Richie Game Five at the Hans GT, and pre-COVID, if I wanted to own an objective and I was fighting against a melee army that's got the potential to get to my front line, I would always deploy my skinks on the baseline and then move up to the objective. Against Richie, I hadn't played in a big tournament for sort of two years and I'd forgotten this and I just put my skinks right on the back line of the objective and he made, he got a six for his rune and bear in mind I made him go first. Um, a six for his rune, which gave him plus two move and then it turned an 11-inch charge into a nine-inch charge. So I had a MAGA taking off 10 skinks um, and just killing them and I could have avoided that situation by simply deploying them on the <laughs> deploying them on the baseline and just moving up to the objective there was no need to do that it was a stupid play um so you've got to take responsibility for your mistakes and uh, hopefully i won't be doing that again um so yeah just um and when you do well as well celebrate your wins you know talk to people about it <laughs> just come on a podcast and talk to people about it yeah absolutely yeah, definitely. celebrate your wins you know don't just concentrate on the things that you did wrong you know because I, I bet there's a fuck ton of shit that you did that was right um you know so just fucking enjoy yourself that's my top tip yeah build, build that enjoy yourself build that playbook that we're talking about right the uh kind of build that that knowledge and that that, that experience to try and get better 
Um, we had we keep talking about lots of listener questions, which is fantastic. I think actually we've covered most of them. Um, one that we didn't cover, um, I guess I come to you, Leo. Was um, mm. there, were, there were a few questions about playing melee armies into shooting armies, and I think this is clearly off the back of the heavily shooting or heavy shooting meta. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of questions about how to go about doing that. Now, I think that's quite a general question with no one answer, but um, how do you find when you're playing against a very, very heavy shooting army against you with a with an army that's kind of less ranged? Are you, are you, are you deploying very aggressively just to try and close the gap as soon as possible? Are you trying to avoid it? What, what would be your tip for the people asking this? I think there's two main ways you can play a melee army into shooting. You can, A, try to go kill them before they shoot you, or you can go sit on objectives and die slowly, either by pinning them in, or then just literally just standing there and just like they will shoot you and they will take them too long to kill you. So that should guide your kind of decision making, in my opinion. So if you have an army that can go kill them and if they've misdeployed, which they might not have after listening to this podcast, of course, but if they have, just go kill them. Especially something like pig lists are doing so well in the meta because they can do that. Especially because they have abilities where they clear the first line of screens and then blood tubes lets them charge again. So then they might tag the shooting unit. So that's one way of dealing with them. But when I was playing an art boy, this is before the two books that have now come for Iron Jaws. And really Iron Jaws was not very damage heavy. And I played just two big blocks of art boys the game plan sometimes would literally be I'm going to keep sending small units into their lines to buy time while I just sit on objectives <laughs> and win on the objectives. It is a miserable game if you're trying to get for a spectacle because yeah, you yeah. are just taking your models off. You're and just taking your models off, but you're winning the game. Exactly. So like, it doesn't matter what you're losing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because some people who play melee armies like that spectacle, right? They like the Frost Lords charging in and throwing those dice and getting the mortal wounds in and then smacking whatever is in front of them. But genuinely, with how powerful some of the shooting units are, but with how specific they are, and they have to target one thing at a time, sometimes you are better off just letting them slowly pick you apart, but losing the game in the process. Yeah, I, th- I like that. I think it's a really nice tip. Um, Darren, Owen, any thoughts about the, your melee into some really heavy shooting? Because there's a lot of, lot of it around in the meta. I pay attention to the, sea, uh, the scenery because there'll be there should hopefully be some places you can put your support pieces. Don't put your support pieces in jeopardy if you don't need to. Oh, God. <laughs> if you are able to deploy out of range, then, you know, I've done a little bit of coaching with people in the past and I'd go on, I wank on about threat ranges all the time, but the, I've, it's so bizarre to me. I will say to someone, right, you're not going to lose Dreitcher in the first turn this time, are you? And they'll go, no. And then I'll go, how did your game go? I lost Dreitcher in the first turn. <laughs> like, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> Why? Oh, I just, I just thought that I might, no, just fucking deploy out of threat. like just just do it give it a try like actually play with Dreitcher in the game you'll be amazed at what well not just Dreitcher but any of your your key pieces you know yeah yeah absolutely Owen last comment from for you about um I quite like uh keying a bit more in the keying into what Leo said um you know like giving them threat saturation is really important like you know I think you can certainly like playing Beasts of Chaos, like, you know, if you've got fast melee troops, um, you can 
you know, you can make them again, make decisions. Maybe they, you know, you give them a couple of different threats and they might end up split firing, making some inefficient choices. Um, <laughs> and a, a slightly jokey one would be uh, just play an army with four at rally, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, it does help yeah. a lot. Yeah, shoot, shoot at my unit of, you know, Zango enlightened on discs. That's 24 wounds. You know, still needs quite a lot to get through them. And then I'll just inspiring presence. Yeah, well, you've got a lot to answer for for that bloody four up rally comment last time. I'm sorry. Okay. I mean, you, they, want, they wanted plays. That's a play, right? Come on. Oh, yes. Um, well, answer... What a perfect segue, Owen. Right, Darren, take it away. Last section. The plays. My favourite. Wow, I think Darren, now that's Darren's, that's Darren's to announce now, isn't it? You've got Michael <laughs> Buffer, I've got Jazz and Dad Jokes. <laughs> and socks. And I just realised got... it's 11 o'clock and I live in the middle of loads of flats. <laughs> <laughs> Your entire zoo just woke up. And... <laughs> so this is our play section, for those of you that didn't hear the, the announcement. Um <laughs> Where I think if you listen to our first episode, uh, we we we've asked our lovely listeners to send in some good plays, and we've got some of our own. So we're going to go round and and mention some of our favourites. Um, so let's let's start with you, Leo. Um, what what's what's a what's a what's a favourite play of yours? So I have two in mind. One that's slightly drier, but just absolutely ingenious in deployment. Then one something that's slightly cool and techier. But for the deployment one, which is very much so in theme, um, and this is something that Ben Murphy, uh, who I used to play and practice against all the time, did to me in a tournament. This was when, uh, if you all still remember, Nagash with Ghosts used to be at List, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was playing against, I was playing with an army that was very capable of killing individual units of those ghosts, but I could never kill both. And at the time, this was several years back, I hadn't seen many people do that, and I still don't. He deployed the ghosts in a way where they were two units were split in the way that like every second model on the front line was from the Grim Gas Reaper unit, and the every other one was from the chain gun uh, chain uh, what are they even called? Chain rasps. Thank you, yeah. chain rasps. So what that meant is that if I charged in, I would inevitably get bogged down stuck, not doing anything useful, not even being able to kill the entire unit because it was so interwoven that he could just remove the casualties in a way that benefited him. And obviously back then, uh, Legion of Nagash, as it was called, could regrow <laughs> literally 20 models a turn. Mm. So it would be completely <laughs> futile. So just by having a very clever deployment style, which I hadn't seen him done before against other opponents, he completely shut down my entire game plan <laughs> and to the point of an earlier, like, what to do against a shooting army? Well, I had to do this also against his army, which is just go sit on objectives and die slowly. <laughs> because there's nothing that the Iron Joe's book at that point could do against him. And I, I thought that was such a wonderful, like very technical way of deploying to completely counter what he knew the list that he was playing against would like to do. I can see yeah. his smile right now. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because to remember it from four hours earlier. Yeah. So let's do it. <laughs> I was. Yeah, uh, I you, you had PTSD. a second one, Leo. I do uh, very quickly, and that was uh, at the height of uh, Slanesh being completely broken and busted. Um, I was playing in Essex GT, and this was game five. Uh, we're at the top table. 
I was playing as a gentleman who was running, I believe, three keepers, like, you know, a chariot and all the characters in the world. And back then, Slanish used to make you fight last. However, there's a rule uh, in the book that said that, look, you can... Whatever apl- whatever effect gets applied later will take precedent. And I was playing Iron Jaws. Mm. So the <laughs> way you could... and. It was really counterintuitive because you'd think back then that Iron Jaws was hard countered by Slanish because they were all multi-wound, so they would literally be able to summon five keepers from your army. But if you smashed them bass just right, we had one unit that couldn't be tagged by any of his abilities to make you fight last, and you then started a chain reaction. The game ended very, very swiftly after two <laughs> turns where... And I will forever cherish this in my heart because it came from a good place and I really respect the way that John's <laughs> playing. He was like, well, from my perspective, Iron Jaws is the broken army. <laughs> it was it was such a wonderful game because it was like it, that that play of knowing that, well, actually, you can, I can fight first, even though your entire army is designed to make me fight last, unless you deploy exactly perfectly, stopping me from having even a single unit being able to fight first. And uh, yeah, that's still some of the favorite things I've ever done with Iron Jaws. That's why I love the army to this day is the plays you can make with Smash and Bash. Yeah. yeah I, I love you that. Had- it sounds like you, you kind of like broke this evil, chaotic <laughs> curse by just a bunch of mad lads hitting at the right exactly. time. <laughs> you had like- it here first, kids. You smash and bash just right. You can get what you what your heart desires. I think it's <laughs> perfect. True. Um, Owen, yes, please. Well, we had a, an email in. Uh, we've got a, a actually not an email. God, I sound like a boomer. I'm gonna can we can we cut that and start again? We can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm leaving that in. I'm not cutting that out. I'm not oh, cutting Lord. it. <laughs> so a tweet. I believe it's called a tweet on the Twitter sphere. Um, a tweet. Yes, we've got, we've got a tweet, tweet uh, from a young gentleman who's making waves in the. Oh, d- another destruction play here for you, kids. There's the best. Wait. So Dominic Stonebridge, I don't know if anyone's had, a, had the opportunity to play Dom, but he's a fantastic player. I think he's currently the number one Gits player in the world. And I think that this this play for our uh, playbook, ah, oh, the playbook, yes, um, is uh, probably why he's been doing so well. So um, he has messages in saying his input for the plays would be where he one-shotted Kragnos with a Maya Brute Trogoff. The, uh, the, I think he's 180 points, isn't he, the Maya mm-hmm. Brute? I know what on your own about, yeah. <laughs> so this is how he did it. It's the seven steps to success. I'm calling it that. <laughs> he's actually numbered the seven steps here. So he finest hours the Maya Brute. He teleports the Madcap Shaman within 12 inches using Hand of Gork. He then turns the Maya Brute into a monster. He charges Kragnos. He roars Kragnos with the Maya Brute, who's now a monster, he then uses the Madcap Shaman, who's wholly within twelve inches, who's within twelve inches now, to show the Moonfaced Momet to drop Kragnos's save again. Oh. And then he uses the Rerow One's command ability from the Dankhold Trog Boss. So the Maya Brute then is on twos, rerolling ones, twos, and I believe that he yanked the reins on the Maya Brute in the hero phase to get an extra three attacks. So he went in and just one banged off Kragnos in a display of absolute destructive. 
glory. Yeah, glory. Like, wonderful. The stars align. That's yeah, exactly I love it when want. it all kind of, yeah, you've got so many steps to get through, and at any stage <laughs> it, it could go wrong. But, um, yeah, he, he, he definitely powered up there. That so Kragos player must have been so sad. <laughs> <laughs> How much is this guy? How many points is this guy? Oh, he's broken. God, broken. destruction just like, nope. Nope, see you later, boss. Yank those reins. Yank those reins. Yeah. Darren, your play. Uh, I've got one that I've done, which links in with deployment, and then I've got one that Colonel Cabbage has done. Which one do you want to hear first? Uh, let's go with your one first. Okay, so I was playing Alex Bruce at the Six Nations. It was Seraphon versus um, his, uh, what are they called? Uh, they stab a lot. of Cain. Thank you. Got it. it is late. Um, Daughters of Cain. Um, and I, again, doing what I do i was paying attention to how he's deploying so on one flank i had given him um two salamanders i had five salamanders in the list and again this harkens back to i'm going to lose something because alex has got 20 bow snakes in his army and my plan is to let him go first so that i can do the big seraphon play and play for the big double um so i put a I give him two salamanders on a flank and I cast up the rest of my army, um, knowing that he's probably, he, he then obliges me and puts all his um, snakes on, on, on the corner in front of the two salamanders, probably knowing that I'm going to give him the first turn and intending to um, shoot and kill them off. And taking two salamanders is a good first turn, isn't it? Um, and I'm noticing, I'm sitting back and I'm noticing that he's meticulously marking out the ex- exact 32 inches on all 20 of these snakes. There's a unit of five, there's then another unit of five, and then there's a unit of 10. So they're all just in range of my salamanders, of which two are at the front, and then I've got two ranks of three salamanders all an inch sort of back from each other. Um, and I know that they're all just in range of these two salamanders. In his first turn, he uh, marathies me, and does five mortal wounds to my salamander unit. Um, And the play is that rather than taking off my skinks first, I take off one of my salamanders, leaving another salamander on one wound. And then what happens in the shooting phase is he shoots with his 10 10 witch ladies, and he manages... Bear in mind, I'm in cover... And the, the cover's mystical, so there is a there's there's a bit to it. But he manages to do four more wounds to my um, my unit. I take off the other salamander and then three skinks. I'm now left with three skinks that are out of range of the other ten snakes. If I'd have taken my skinks off first when he first hit me with Marathi, then all of his snakes would have been range and destroyed the whole unit. Um, what I managed to do then is inspiring presence the three skinks. And in my turn, I pick up his Welsh dice. <laughs> I rally the unit and I rally back two of my salamanders. <laughs> so that plan was thought about in the deployment phase about how I was going to, I was hoping that I'd be able to take my salamanders off in such a way that I'd leave some skinks alive. And then I was hoping one would come back as it happened two came back. And I don't think most people would have taken their salamanders off th- first. Um, so I was just really pleased with that with that play. And that that all stems from, you know, that stems from deployment, quietly watching what my opponent was doing. And whilst he was faffing about doing his deployment, I was thinking about how the first two turns were going to 
were going to sort of pan out. Um, and I managed to completely mitigate his entire term, which is dead neggy if you're the opponent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then um, Colonel Cabbage. Um, yep. I love this chap. Um, he writes, I garrisoned a massive ruin with a doom ball so that it was automatically in combat with a frost lord. After a few rounds of combat, the doom ball died, but that was all part of my plan. It let me place a spawn within six inches of the ruin to cap his back objective. <laughs> Hashtag gay spawn plays, which I... <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. I, love, I love this because this is future planning. This is the sort of thing that it's very difficult for your opponent to hold in their head. So it, by the time it's happened, it's too fucking late. So well done, Colonel Cabbage. That is a great play. Yeah, absolutely. Those were great. So, yeah, absolutely. Amazing plays. And thank you, all of you, to write in. It was fantastic reading all of them. Have you not um, got one, Alex? I, got I do have one, and I think it would be remiss of us not to mention this one. Um, <laughs> this comes from a, a lovely, intelligent young uh, gentleman who lives in the northwest of England. And uh, he's called Richie. And Richie writes, Dear... Sexy, incredible, awesome, miscast pod team. You're all amazing, and I love the podcast very, very much. I'm, I might oh, be paraphrasing me. slightly that's at the start. Yeah. yeah. And after that, Richie writes, Once playing Stormcast Dragons, I used my once-per-game hero move to move all my dragons. Then, in the movement phase, I moved them again, so I was three inches away, making it really easy to charge. I was so close turn one, I could shoot with my dragon breath. Then, as he had a few models left, I charged them. The end. <laughs> the pain! <laughs> so, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Richie, very much. That was, that, was, uh, that was great to read. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sending all those in. And thanks, yeah. as I said, thanks to everyone for sending in your plays. They're really fun to read. So do, do keep sending them in. Um, you can DM them to either to the Miscast Pods feed or to... Uh, or to Owen or Darren, or to or to Leo. Um, but that's it, guys. That's the episode. That was yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm smiling. Wonderful. Yeah, perfect. I'm, I'm, so... I'm almost horizontal. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to finish to get to get Owen to bed. So um, the next episode is going to be on strategy. So overall strategy. So do get your questions in to us about your your strategical questions. And the next episode will be with a big flaming galah. So there's a little teaser for you. Um, so do send your questions in to us, uh, even the piss-taking ones, and we'll get around to them. But thanks again. Uh, be kind to each other. Look after each other. And uh, we'll catch you all next time. So cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.